for me it falls exactly into what mission supposed to be we have to unconditionally love people mm. not for them becoming Christian I mean whatever they want but we love them All to right. show them God's love for them that's it Radio Mano Papachango Hey Chris and all the tangentially speaking listeners, last time I reached out to you I was on the Rhine River in Germany, however today I'm chilling on a beach in Costa Rica in Manuel Antonio, man it's beautiful out here, wish everyone has a great day and keep your minds open. What's up, Chris? It's Jack here from Sydney, Australia. I'm in Wanaka, New Zealand. It's a small town outside Queenstown, and I am backpacking all over the country. I've been walking over mountains for most of the time, and it's been bloody awesome. Uh, For anyone out there who's having a tough time or just needs to work through some shit, I suggest you spend a week walking. It will do wonders for you. I love the podcast, brother. Um, Keep doing your thing. Cheers. What up, Chris Ryan? Uh, My name's Sarah. I listen to your podcast uh, fairly frequently. I am in this majestic palace of my one-bedroom apartment in Philadelphia, PA. <laughs> uh, I'm a single mom. I'm pretty young. I'm 25. And, uh, you know, all my peers are out fucking partying and jamming and doing their thing. But I stay home, and um, I put my son to bed, and I smoke a dupe, and I listen to your podcast, and it's been really awesome. And I clean and enjoy everything that you put out, so thank you. Thank you, Sarah, and Jack in New Zealand, and Guy without a name in Costa Rica on the beach. I'm really glad that all three of you are along for the ride. You know, I know a lot of people who send in their snips are in some exotic spot in the world. Um, And that's always cool to hear somebody's walking in the mountains in New Zealand or sitting on a beach in Costa Rica or on a bus in Nepal or whatever. But it's also really cool to hear from someone who is in a one-bedroom apartment in Philadelphia taking care of her son and living a different kind of life that is no less adventurous and certainly no less valuable or impactful or beautiful. And I say that uh, really not liking Philadelphia at all. I really have a bad relationship with Philadelphia. My grandparents lived there and we used to go visit them twice a year. And uh, it was... um, I mean, not to be dramatic, but it was kind of torturous. Maybe I'll do a tomo about that someday. It's very personal, but um, my grandfather was 
kind of a monster in lots of ways. And the house was horrible. It was this horrible little house and it stank of anger and resentment and regret and bitterness and piss and shit. And it was a horrible place and there was no escaping it. So anyway, I grew up with a very negative view of Philadelphia, which has nothing to do with any of this except what I'm trying to say is that Sarah, thank you. I'm very happy to hear from you and I'm very happy that you're on the other side of these cables and machines and computers. Makes me happy. This episode is with Philip uh, Van Wick, who is a very cool guy that I met in Thailand on the island of Kopayam. Thanks to Greg Simmons. When Greg and I were doing the podcast, uh, which I released two or three episodes back, he's the ethnomusicologist uh, who's recording uh, songs of cultures that are in danger of slipping away. Um, he said to me, Hey, you should really consider doing a podcast with this guy, Philip. He's super interesting. He's a missionary who's working with the sea gypsy people. Um, and, uh, he's sort of helping them, trying to help them transition into life on the land because their boats were washed away in the tsunami. And so he's there in this very difficult and interesting time in the culture of these people. These are people, by the way, if you're unfamiliar with uh, sea gypsies, they basically, um, the modern world just passed them by or they, they just opted out. They have no passports. They have no nationality. They live on boats until the boats all got swept away recently. But for centuries, they've lived on on their boats in Southeast Asia. And as countries formed and wars were fought and invasions and occupations and the Japanese came and the Dutch, and the, all these different countries came in and colonized the area and then were pushed out. And these people were just living on their boats, fishing and just sort of moving around uh, sea nomads, essentially. And... It seems that at least in this part of Southeast Asia, the tsunami has sort of washed them up on shore and now they're trying to adapt to a new way of life. Um, the Thai government is sort of provisionally giving some of them something like citizenship. Philip talks about that. Um, so in any case, I don't want to tell the whole story now, but it's a very um, impactful and pivotal moment in the history of uh, a culture. And Philip is there doing what he can to be of service. And, you know, it may seem strange, those of you who know me, who've listened to me talk about religion, that um, I can honestly say that meeting Philip and hanging out with him um, was a surprisingly touching and beautiful experience for me, given the fact that I'm deeply skeptical of organized religion. I'm um, basically inclined to be critical of missionaries and people who believe that they have some news that the rest of the world absolutely has to hear and they're willing to 
um, you know, go and invade their culture in order to tell them that the way they're living is wrong because Jesus has the answer. Uh, I'm, I don't like those people. I don't like their mission in the world. I don't like their assumptions and their their presumption. And um, so I was expecting this conversation to be a little difficult and I'd have to skirt some issues and avoid some things in order to um, not get contentious. In fact, what I found was a a lovely man who believes that his... I mean, I I don't want to put words in his mouth. You'll hear him explain it himself. But what I came away with was a sense that Philip doesn't really feel compelled to convey any particular teachings of the Bible or any particular belief structure. What he's trying to do is embody the love of Jesus, I mean, Jesus's love in his own life. And then what people learn from that, what people take away from that, he, he that's in their hands. And so I think it's, it's really something very pure that he feels nourished by his religion and he takes that energy from that nourishment and he does his best to have a positive impact uh in the world and in specific specifically in this context where he is now on this remote island in southwest thailand um and i admire that uh i have no conflict no problem saying that uh I think what Philip is doing is is pretty beautiful and necessary. And, uh, you know, he's put in his work. He speaks the language. He speaks Thai. He also speaks the, the language, the native language of the people he's working with. And um, they seem to love him when we were w- walking out after recording. The kids were coming back from school and they lots of them ran up and gave him a hug and were very obviously very comfortable with him and uh, seemed to have a very uh he seems to have a very open-hearted um connection to them so anyway it was a beautiful conversation pretty unusual given you know the porn stars and comics and uh you know authors and the the normal people that pass through this podcast um i think he's probably the only christian missionary i've spoken to i'd have to think about that for a while but um certainly a unique presence and i'm very happy to have had this conversation with him and i know you'll enjoy it i've been thinking recently about social justice warriors and the sort of anger uh that is permeates so much of what's going on. And uh, you'll hear me mention this in a couple of podcasts that's come up in conversations that I've recorded recently, like um, with Daniele Bolelli, that's coming soon. Um, But I've been thinking about whether maybe that anger is partly the outrage, right? This constant outrage everyone seems to feel, whether it's partly due to the fact that there's an overwhelming, inescapable sense of dread 
And the younger you are, the more your life is impacted by what's going on environmentally. I think if we're paying attention, we are all pretty sure that we're living in the end days, the end times here, that things are going to get increasingly um, chaotic economically, environmentally, um, the weather, the work situation, the health situation, just everything is entering this period of great turbulence. And we're just sort of, we're just feeling the beginnings of it now. I think everybody kind of knows that. And, you know, if you're my age and you're late 50s, okay, you got, you know, 20, 30 years, and then you're out anyway. So, if the big storm isn't hitting for 50 years, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, but if you're 25, uh, you know, that's going to be in your lifetime. And if you're 25 with kids, then it matters in a blood immediate kind of way. And I think people are feeling outraged and helpless and a lot of that energy may be getting diverted into online screaming and attacks and um, seemingly nonsensical overreactions to things. Um, you know, not to say that, uh, you know, th that a lot of these debates about... Um, you know, if Al Franken putting his hand on a woman's waist, does that constitute sexual harassment? That's a conversation that's worth having because um, because there's no question that sexual harassment is an issue and has been an issue forever. And the only way to move past it is to have these conversations. And sometimes the conversation is going to go beyond the line of what I consider reasonable. And that's just the way conversations happen and so on and so forth. So maybe that's a bad example. But my point is that these debates, these conversations are certainly important, but it feels like they're uh, driven or inflated or infected with um, an outrage and an anger and a, like a judgment and an absolutism and a certainty and all these things that are very dangerous and very ugly to my eye. And I'm wondering if they aren't reactions to something else, to this feeling of helplessness that we have fucked it up so bad that the planet itself is dying, that the bees and the butterflies and the fish and the birds are falling out of the sky and the fish are floating up belly up in the oceans. And it's just a fucking nightmare, but there's nothing that we can really do about it. And so, you know, it's Kubler-Ross's, stages of grief dabda is the way i remember it denial anger bargaining depression acceptance while we've been in the denial stage some of us still are in the denial stage 
the American Republican Party is in the denial stage. And I think that the rest of us are in the anger stage, largely, um, just fucking pissed off. And then some of us are in the bargaining stage, right? If I recycle and if I'm a vegan, then, you know, I'll have less of an impact on the world. And I, I don't mean to sound like I'm making fun of that, but I think it's about as impactful as the person with stage four pancreatic cancer saying, I'm going to eat better and I'm going to, you know, go to yoga class. I, it Good if it makes you feel better, but I don't think it's going to have an effect on the progression of the disease. And I don't think recycling or being a vegan or, you know, having, you know, not wearing leather belts is going to change the trajectory of history. And of course, then the next stage is depression and then acceptance. And it's hard to get there when you're confronted with something larger even than your own demise. It's like, it's as if NASA identified a giant meteor and they did the calculations and they said, oh shit, in 12 years, this meteor is going to obliterate the planet. And we have no idea how to stop it. And like not even beginning to have an idea and then you get down and it's five years and essentially five years away and you see that essentially nobody's even really working on a plan to stop it. What we're doing is arguing about whether boys and girls can use the same bathroom. That's how it feels to me anyway. And I imagine it feels that way to a lot of people. <clears throat> and there's a sense of helplessness. It reminds me of traveling in you know India and the in Asia and in Latin America you take these bus rides and these guys are in the mountains and they're they drive like crazy and they're passing on blind turns and they're all you know hyped up on amphetamines and I'm thinking yeah I'm gonna die I'm probably gonna die on one of these fucking bus crashes because there are crashes all over the place but what can you do you just, there's nothing you can do. And, you know, I remember sitting on one ride, particularly harrowing ride. I was sitting right behind the driver and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't take my eyes off the road as if what, I'm going to jump down and grab the wheel out of his hands and swerve and save us all at the last minute when I see something that he's missing. No, it's not going to happen. I'm just going to hurtle through the fucking windshield. And yet I couldn't take my eyes off. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't relax. That's kind of how it feels sometimes. Like, I can't control it. I can't do a damn thing about it. But I can't ignore it either. But there is one thing you can do. You can drink mud water. <laughs> How's that for a segue? You can drink mud water. You can take care of your brain by drinking this elixir of various mushroom extracts and cacao and cinnamon. I mean, look, uh, Daniele Bolelli and I just finished this long conversation, which I'll release here in a couple of weeks. And a lot of what we were talking about is what do you do? What do you do? And what we came up with 
The only thing that either one of us could come up with is you try to live your own life in a way that feels good, makes you happy, be as healthy as you can in a sick world, take some control over the things you can control, right? And one of those things is how we eat, how we treat our bodies, um, how we treat our minds. So um, that includes things like mud water. I tend to drink too much coffee. It makes me nervous. I don't think about what I'm doing. I have another cup and another cup. And then I'm like, my armpits are all sweaty. And then I have an energy crash. And yeah. And there's a mindlessness to it, right? There's a, there's sort of a self-perpetuating helplessness. And one of the things that we can do to at least give ourselves the illusion of control, which is itself, it's like the placebo. It may be an illusion, but it's also real, is you can look at your life and say, I want to take control of this. I want to stop that. I want to you know, I want to stop drinking caffeine for a month and see how that feels. I want to stop drinking alcohol for a month, see how that feels. I want to take cold showers, see how that feels. Even if the thing itself doesn't have an effect on your life, the cold showers or the absence of caffeine or alcohol, the fact that you have made a decision to do something and then did it, that has an effect. That has an empowering effect on your life. And um, so mud water is an interesting way to do that. If you want to cut caffeine out of your life for a while and see how that feels, mud water is a very interesting way to do it. And you might end up not going back to coffee at all because you get a lot of the same sort of tonic and stimulant effects from the mud water. It tastes great. You can mix it up in different ways. On the new packaging, there are uh, suggestions for how to make a latte, and they also have this um, whitener, this uh, coconut milk and MCT oil uh, concoction that goes really well with the mud water. So you can uh, add a little honey, a little uh, whatever sweetener you like, a little maple syrup. I like maple syrup myself. And uh, come up with your own concoction. So if you uh, want to check it out, go to mudwater, M-U-D-W-T-R dot com and get yourself uh, some mud water. Check it out. I'm digging my morning mud. Yeah, you got to get some morning mud. Kelly Slater digs it. He says better option than coffee for me. Yeah, they've got they just added some uh, some uh, what do you call them? Testimonials to their Web page. So, Mudwater. I recorded a podcast with Shane, the founder of Shane Heath, the founder, and uh, I don't know if he's CEO or what his title is at Mudwater, but um, that's coming next episode, I believe. So, that'll be fun. You get to hear from Shane what it's like to start a company and be a mudslinger. All right. I think that's about all I'm going to say. This episode is, as I said, from Thailand. It's the last one I recorded in Asia before I came back. I'm going to play you into it with a song that seems appropriate. It's called Life Upside Down. It's by a guy who listens to the podcast, um, Brett, 
what's Brett's last name? Newski, Brett Newski. Uh, you can check out more of his music at brettnewski.com. It's B-R-E-T-T, Newski, N-E-W-S-K-I. And uh, yeah, his band, I think he said, yeah, they're the first band to ever be kicked out of Walmart for playing an illegal show in a Walmart. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, there's a, a YouTube video of that. Um, anyway, so check out uh, the latest record is called Ride. Uh, this song is called Life Upside Down, and it's from the album Ride. Thanks for listening. Catch you later. Somebody talk to me Tonight especially This is my life upside I'm here in a, in a Moken, with this, a refugee village? Yeah, it's not really a refugee, it's just a Moken village. Yeah. A Moken village, but yeah. these the Moken are boat people generally, They are right? generally boat people, yes. Yeah, so they're not accustomed to having villages. No, not, not in the past. Now they they don't have a choice, so they're yeah. on land-based now, yeah. Yeah, so I'm here with, with Frederick, and you're, what is your role? Philip. Philip. <laughs> <laughs> Already fucked it up. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Philip, sorry. Uh, what is your 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 missionary? Is that I'm your... a missionary, yes. But my main focus is to help these people to 
to change or to how can you say come from the old nomadic semi-nomadic lifestyle and more adopt to this no new lifestyle of them to help the transition from right from yeah from from, from sea more sea to land base yeah and are the Moken they're generally referred to as sea gypsies Is they are referred to sea gypsies yes in all right moment. because they don't have nationality they, li they they've traditionally they, lived on boats yes they in the past they have no, had no nationality they traditionally lived on the boats yeah yeah, yeah and so right. do these people uh, do they have thai passports now or are they still Not all of them we they in the process of getting thai citizenship ah. uh, at the moment i will say some of them have no identity some of them have they call it uh, a zero identity but it's it's recognized by the government it's a, a zero because there's a zero in front of the the number oh really but they are recognized at least they say okay you can stay here and then some of them in the process of giving them full thai citizenship yeah hmm. so. and they're all over southeast asia they all over yeah not so all over the Morgan lives mainly here in thailand and then in myanmar Ah, so on okay. the coast, that's about 800 islands uh, that they yeah, live on, yeah. yeah, up to the Andaman Islands. And then this is, these people are different from the so-called sea gypsies in the Indonesian archipelago? Yes, they're different. Ah, really? There's different groups, yeah. Ah, we okay. have three groups in Thailand. Huh. So our group is a very small group. They call themselves the Moken, and then the second is the Moklen, and the third one is Uraklawai. Yes, that's the three right. sea gypsy groups. And different do you know, culture, different really? language, yeah. The Moklen is very close to the Moken. They are more land-based long time ago. Mm. They went to the land a long time ago. So they call themselves the Moklen. And their tradition is a little bit different, language a little bit different. Uh, so the Moken are the original, like I say, the, the longest people that still lives on the boats mm. <laughs> from the sea gypsies in this area. Right. And so they're in this situation now that, that you're trying to help them make the transition to living on land because yes. of the tsunami. So yes, what happened is they were living carefree, doing whatever they want, moving up and down in Myanmar, up to Malaysia. And then after the tsunami, the NGOs came and were helping. And they said, who's this? <laughs> so the Thai people and the, even the Myanmar said, oh, we know them. They are the sea people. But they haven't had like citizenship or were not recognized by all the different governments. So the NGOs asked the governments to recognize them as people. And the moment they start to recognize them, they get a, got a lo lot, a long list of rules that they have to apply to. Right. So that's what happened, yeah, basically. And do the people want to transition to the land, or they just don't have the money to make new boats? I think because of the laws, international laws, that they cannot cut any trees anymore. Not in Thailand, not in Myanmar, ah. to make their traditional boats. So their lifestyle, they're forced to change their lifestyle. Ah. And... Uh, and after the tsunami, I mean, it was just the next step. I think the governments used that opportunity to help recognize the Moken people, but then help be able to control them a little bit as, as well, like, like the governments want to. Right, because they're free people. I mean, are they were they pirates as well? In the I've past, heard rumors. yes, they were pirates. <laughs> yeah, but not not, not recently. Not big pirates. No, no, no guns and things like that. Yeah. It's more like in the before almost world war if you listen to that the second world war they they we have talks about the second world war and then they inhabit these islands and then when these boats coming out with things they want they will just take them but not all of them but right. they were definitely pirates right <laughs> right in their stories yeah and and uh, what is their culture like at, in terms of 
they, I mean, before the tsunami, they're living at, in the sea, they're moving around, they're yes. following, I imagine, fish migrations yes. and fish migration, weather they, patterns. The storms, weather patterns and uh -huh. things like that. So they will move from, uh, they, so for instance, they come to our island here and there's no fish, then they will just move on to the next island. Right. Or then they have family, they're usually in the monsoon, they will go and visit family and stay with the families. Usually monsoons, they will come out of the sea and stay on the land. Uh -huh. But after the monsoon, they will get into the boats and go wherever they remember their good fish are. And how big were the, the social groups that were traveling together? It's usually extended family. Mm. So it's grandfather, grandmothers, children, grandchildren. Multiple boats or all usually in one? multiple boats, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, someone will, maybe one or two boats will go out, but they will always come back to a family group, a group of people, yeah. So and how, nice. how, does, um, how do young people meet each other to form new families? So that is usually what happened uh, on the, when it's monsoon. Ah, so okay. Will meet at the monsoon. So the larger groups get yes. together. Yes, and then when they, someone meets someone that they like, they first have to build a boat, and that will take up to a year. So right. They have to build a house. Right. Yeah, so they will not let them get married. Usually they have to ask permission from the parents as well to know if they are related or not. Ah. So that was also, because it's a very small people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the past they say about 12,000. Ah. They think about 12,000. Now we think this... This is the Moken. The Moken, just right. the Moken group. Right. We think there's about 5,000 left. And are they very protective of the culture? Can someone marry into the culture relatively yeah, easily? No, they, they don't mind someone coming oh, into the culture. Oh, it's okay. So a lot of Burmese are married into the culture and Thais huh. are married into the culture. Yeah. They don't really mind, but usually the Thai and the Burmese will conform to the Moken culture. Mm. It's really interesting. They will, it's just, it's a sea gypsy, this like, this loose going wherever the, the, this, the I will say, the, the catches take them. Yeah. So it's a very nice, it's a very fluent culture. It's very nice, actually. Yeah. And are they suffering a lot trying to adapt to living on land? I think it's a big transition for them. Yeah, huge. The, just the, the way the lifestyle, they were living just for to live every day. So they will go and catch fish for the, what they need for the day. And now the culture has changed to a point that they have engines. So now they have to get fuel. Right, <laughs> so in the fuel economy. So in the fuel economy, yeah. now they they land based and they hate it on the land. Yeah, it's amazing to see them transition from people on the land and then go out on the boat. It's like, well, who's this? Yeah, <laughs> they completely change. They really see people. So how, it's a how, big do, change. how do they change? You see it physically the yeah, movements? You, you, yeah, no, they're very uh, obviously happy and loud and outgoing on the boat. Ah, and when they very. Because preserved and silent and uh. really almost shy on land. It's really amazing. It, it's so noticeable. It's so huge difference. Well, it must it must be interesting for you to be seeing this too. It, it's like a domestication process. It's like a wolf becoming a dog, sort yeah, it, of. It you is, know? Yeah, it's actually sad. Um, yeah. For me, I think the older people you can see they really. I'm almost say I hate the transition. Yeah. The younger ones are. They're okay, they don't really know anything else. They don't know what they're missing. Yeah, they don't know what they're missing. They don't know the freedom they had on the on the sea. Um, so, and and I think that for me also to see the younger ones that they, it's the culture is not that important to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seeing them just adopting to another culture, the Thai culture, the Thai language, everything. So yeah. Do you do you see the diet changing a lot and the health reflecting oh, yes. that? Yeah. No, the the diet is now all. I I don't know if you've seen in Thailand. We have all this five baht it's uh, like breads but it's full of sugar yeah. and 
they call it kanom but mm. <laughs> so it's very low quality of bread with a lot of sugar and uh, it looks like palm sugar and things that they got on there so that is a big thing with the children so we have a big mm. problem with the children they teeth. don't have teeth yeah <laughs> right <laughs> no teeth and previously i guess their diet was what like uh, totally fish did totally they have fish. vegetables oh, at all or they you they know some of the the normal plants in the forest they will go even today the older children will show me okay you can eat this you can eat this you can eat this you can eat this, this so they would food. gather on the island they will gather as well. and all the fruits they know where every fruit tree is on the island right they know where all the fresh water is on the island so it's ah, amazing yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah no they know but it's all it's not they don't go say grow their own vegetables or things like that right they know where it is in so they're hunter gatherers essentially they almost yeah they're gatherers but but hunters in the sea, in the sea primarily yeah, they, yeah amazing they, hunters in the sea yeah D and how did they fish was it uh with spear fishing or yeah hooks? they make no they they make a like a spear with a bamboo and then they will jump out on the from the boat onto the uh, onto the fish if it's too shallow otherwise they will dive and they will just spear it with a now they use oh. metal but in it was in the old time it was all bamboo and do they have um eyepieces masks they something? use now they use masks but some of them don't ah. some of them don't they can see enough to get their food under the water wow it's amazing yeah that is amazing yeah the new the, the older ones so i can see but the new ones are all use masks now. i saw a documentary recently about some sea people in Southeast Asia who actually hunted whales from boats. Oh, yeah. No, I, don't I mean, they jump that. from yeah, the boat, a wooden boat that they're paddling. <laughs> they jump with a spear onto the oh, whale. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, these people, their favorite was the sea turtle. Uh, uh, but now there's nothing left. <laughs> yeah. So they use it for their rituals, their um, spiritual rituals right. to, to please the spirits for the year yeah. so did you come here expressly to work with them or did you just get sent here and yeah, no, look no, for no. what was here I was actually with another group and I worked in the northeastern part of Thailand for three years before I came here but when I was there um, I went to Malaysia and there was a guy that talked about the sea gypsies and I said well no I have to go and have a look mm. and that's when I I found this people group and I talked to the the people involved here and they say wow they really need people to come and help here and um, my heart is always for the poor people yeah. the the least privileged people of a country so I thought it was in the northeast that's what they told me right and but when I saw the Mokan I realized they and we can eat and <laughs> and why Southeast Asia um, I think it's a, I say a combination of things um, I've, I'm African South African so uh, to keep everyone happy and to be a little bit away from everyone's mouth can you say i choose a place that is a little bit difficult for people to come and see um, you mean people you know from home people that i know from home that don't always agree with what i'm doing ah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then you can you've got the freedom to say okay i'm helping people and they can say oh very good you're helping people and there's no sense of what skin color what uh. where they come from what background or whatever how poor they are and things like that there's no question they can say oh they're poor people from asia oh wow that's amazing right. <laughs> great job so it sort of keeps it as an <laughs> it abstraction keeps, it, it keeps everything everyone happier and yeah. then as well i came here to asia and i just fell in love with it it's mm. a beautiful place i was very afraid of the language though <laughs> that i can tell you you learn thai i learned thai yeah 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 i'm busy learning Morkan, but 
one day, one day. <laughs> yeah. I understand what, more than I can speak yet. So what what have you learned about the people, the Moken people, by studying their language? You see, is there are there reflections of different ways of thinking and perceiving the world? Oh yes. No, it's it's actually amazing. The it's a very how can you say it's a very family culture. Mm. So they've got a lot of words to to express their relationships. With ah, one ah, okay. So interesting. Th- that is very interesting to me. The Thai also have, but the Morkan are more. It's almost like they've got special words for, for 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 one another that they can see. Marriage is not very important to them, uh-huh. and you can see the the words that they use. It is you actually just become part of the family. Hmm. The words that they use for someone that get married, you become part of the family. Just extended family. You. They don't have a special word to distinguish you from the from the family. Yeah. Yeah. So that is very interesting. So so there's not a distinction between being part of the family because of a relationship versus through blood. Yeah. Through, not really. Right. Yeah. yeah. So and and what do do marriages sort of come and go? Is there divorce? No. Actually, or? the divorce rate is actually very low. I'm really surprised <laughs> to say they they so when they get married they. They in the past now they also ask permission from the parents first just to make sure that there's no uh, they're not close family right and then when they get the yes they get married they just sleep together and then they're married mm. and then usually they will stay together there's no really very little divorce is, it's is usually the, death that right that breaks the the relationship yeah right yeah. right and is there um, and I don't know if you would know this, but within the marriage, are they very strictly monogamous, or do people sort of have their secret things and no one talks about it? Some of them, if I if I live in this, there's almost two camps. One camp is a very, they're very close to one another. They don't go out, and the the woman will check them. They will ask, if you go out, I don't want you to sleep there because. Mm. <laughs> and the other group is. Um, Whatever you want to do, right? Yeah. Huh. So you get both of them. Yeah. It's, it's like I think it's just n- normal. Some right. are very jealous of their, of right. their partner, and and, and some so are just uh, typical human variation. Yeah, variation. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm thinking the the lifestyle yeah. it's so dispersed. It's I mean, maybe dispersed, if yeah. the men go on a fishing trip over yeah. here, you don't see them for a yeah. couple of months. Who knows? But you see, in the past, the the whole family will go. Yeah. Okay. So, so it wasn't uh, a separation. It was not a yeah. separation. Now we they are forced separated. Ah. Because the the children are living here with the mother, right? And then the husband and the friend, his friends will go out on a boat somewhere. Mm. So that is new also for them. So that is why I hear the woman, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Jealous, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So uh, is your family? You mentioned people back home who might not uh, look yeah. at what you're doing do you come from a family of missionaries is this no a- no i think south africa because of apartheid we didn't have a lot of opportunity for missions we were closed off by a lot of countries no true so right. missions has a very bad name in south africa ah. it's like wow you want to become a missionary so you want to be become a beggar <laughs> ah. so that is the idea that the south africans have but it's not what it's uh, well, what what, it's, what uh, religious tradition are you working we're protestant, from protestant protestant religions yeah. right so it's very it's almost new you can say it's only ah. 24 years that we openly go uh, in the past, it was only the really they say you beggar if you go, and uh, it's something new that we try to teach them. It's not. So why? W- how does this appeal to you? How did you? What What was your path that led you? I to think. Do this? I think this in South Africa. If If we look at our past, 
one of our biggest missions of the, the white settlers that went to South Africa was to bring the gospel. I mean, the whole white group that came from Europe were very strong Christians. They actually, they, some of them left Europe because of the, the things that were happening in church and in politics there. And they, they ran away from that and look, looking for safe haven in, in South Africa. So that is very strong. So uh, some of our leaders in the past said, um, the reason for us being in Africa is to really bring them the good news. Mm. That was the, the main reason. And I think that is just something that caught up with me. <laughs> mm. It's in our blood. <laughs> Come on, right. So, yeah. Right. So, yeah. And I always wanted to become a missionary, but because of the bad name and apartheid, they said, no way you cannot become a missionary. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. It seems like the work you're doing here, and I've, I have a very limited uh, sense of it, but I mean, we've been talking for half an hour now, and you haven't really been proselytizing. It feels like you're... The one thing I heard that sounded... Um, that had some sort of religious resonance for me was you said that you relate to the, the poor, always helping the poor, which sounds to me like original Christianity yeah, yeah, and yeah. Jesus himself, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. As opposed to someone who's coming in and imposing a belief system. No, for me... We are not supposed to impose anything. Ah. We are supposed to become the love and help. And I, I think that is the whole, my understanding of, of what Jesus did is he came here and he said, you're in trouble, let me help you. Right. That's, that, that's a boat. That's a boat. <laughs> sounds like a machine gun, actually. <laughs> it's almost like a, no, they take off the silences. Ah, so yeah. they, they say it saves some petrol. Uh, so when that... Uh, that boat started up. We were talking about your vision of, of missionary work, I, I think if I understood you correctly, as being uh, an example of it's a, an the example teachings. of yeah, it's being an example and becoming that physical love. It's to love, unconditional love. Right. It's not I love you because you're gonna become a Christian. Mm. I love you because you are you. Right. I think that is the, the, the thing that we as Christians miss. It's not I'm gonna love you, there's no God love us unconditionally, according to what I understand. It's unconditionally. Be, when I was a sinner, he come and died for me. So mm. it's unconditional. So that is what we are supposed to be. We are supposed to represent him in what he is here on earth. Right. So, right. so that, this is why this is, for me, it full exactly into what mission supposed to be. We have to unconditionally love people. Mm. Not for them becoming Christian. I mean, whatever they want. But we love them. To right. show them God's love for them. That's it. Well, it's hard. That's difficult. To know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, it, and and it's like so many other things that are hard, like um, relationships, right? Yeah. I mean, isn't that the ideal of being a parent or being a husband or a wife or yes. a friend? Yes. You know, it's all about unconditional it's love. Unconditional love. Yeah. 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 Although, it's also difficult in friendships because it. If your love is always unconditional, it seems that people become dependent upon it. Yeah, no, that that can be the the. I think the sometimes we misunderstand unconditional love. Mm. It's it's like, um, I mean, example is if I'm in love with someone, I love this lady with all my heart, but she don't love me back. Right. I mean, if I truly love her, I'll let her go. Right. You understand? So yeah. love has that, that, I will say almost that, that aspect of knowing when to let go, right. knowing when to say no, yeah. knowing when to be strict. 
Yeah. Knowing when to guide someone, even if it's hard. Knowing when to use words that is hard. You understand? So love is not just, oh, I sacrifice everything and everyone. Mm. It is knowing when to be what. Yeah. So it's, it's at the end, you want the best for that person. Yeah. To build him up, to get the best out of him, to give him the best opportunity. To, uh, I think that is what, what the unconditional love does. It, know, it, it has to know where to... I would say the boundaries are yeah. to really bring someone the best out of someone. So right, how to manifest in the yes, best way. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So yeah. yeah, it sounds very much like Buddhism. Have you studied other? Well, religions? that is that is that is the that is the thing that is very interesting. You see, the only thing is that what what the big difference between Buddhism and Christianity is Buddhism. You have to be able to get that by yourself. Christianity say we cannot be that, but we have someone. That has already, uh, can say, accomplished it for us, and by following him, his accomplishing uh, accomplishments become our accomplishments. So it's it's quite different. <laughs> so the, it, but, but didn't Buddha attain enlightenment by renouncing yeah, his but you desires? See, Buddha, yeah, but Buddhism, you're not actually praying or asking him for help. It's just uh-huh, an example. True. Right. You know, see, Christianity, see. we say, I cannot become that. Uh, I need I someone see. to. To help me to get it. So, so Jesus uh, isn't just an example of someone who found it for himself. You see the, tra- the traditional understanding of Jesus as a being that can help you find we, it. We, actually, I'll be exchange. So uh, Christianity says that I live no more, but he lives in me. So we believe that as we follow him, this exchange plague, this brokenness of mine, get renewed or reborn or made new my it's not my life anymore it's his life through me mm. yeah so we actually become real representatives of god in in this world how does that feel amazing but it's very challenging because you realize who you are <laughs> so you realize who you are in the process of sacrificing who of you are of sacrificing of who you are you you realize that we are completely broken and that we cannot obtain it by ourselves but we are loved even though we cannot do it by ourselves we are already been loved and someone is how can you say encouraging us and helping us and changing us but someone that lived 2000 years ago yeah but he's still alive you see that is the yeah. thing that we believe so we don't believe just and in the physical we believe there's a big spiritual as well right yeah it's interesting you know my both my parents uh were catholics oh, yes, yes. and so i sort of grew up in a an environment of people who around the time that i was born they renounced their religion and yeah, yeah. Wow. um you know my father was sexually abused mm. by a priest mm-hmm. and uh, sure. i think they just sort yeah. of looked at the so i grew up in in um not an anti-religious yeah, yeah. environment i would say sure, but, but extremely yeah. skeptical yeah yeah i can imagine yeah. you well, know and then seeing all the the scandals of uh christian of catholic catholicism uh, yeah, and now yeah. southern baptist Baptists. just came out yeah, a few yeah, days yeah. ago 200 yeah. Yeah, yeah. uh people accused of sexual yeah. crimes yeah, yeah. um yeah I, I have a lot of skepticism but on the other hand i'm named after uh, a man, Father Chris, who was a mentor to my father, who I later met, who was extremely political, and his sense of Christianity is very much like what you're describing. And I saw him as being one of the most um, genuinely kind, decent, generous people I've ever met. So I, I sort of, 
well, you know, I'm not skeptical, and, and yeah, I hope yeah. I don't come across no, as being skeptical, skeptical because yeah. your what I hear from you is exactly what I admire in the religious yeah, tradition, yeah. whether whatever it is, whether it's Buddhism or yeah, Christianity yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the Jesuits who who uh, are in Central America, liberation theology. I mean, there's some really important work yeah, being yeah, done yeah. in yeah. the name of Jesus. Yeah. So, you said your your family is not particularly religious, or no? They all they are, but, um, but because of the I think because of apartheid, it is like you cannot become a missionary. Yeah. You you, and our culture is also like. Usually, the the men the the boy needs to take over the the family business, and now mm. I'm not there. I've got we four. I've got three sisters and it's only me. Oh, <laughs> so now I'm right. supposed to take over the family business. And right. now I say, no, wow, I've, I, I really have this passion of helping people. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And were there other avenues that you considered to, to do the same kind of work? I was already a little bit involved like in, in South an, Africa. Like an NGO, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah. I was already involved in South Africa, but because of the, it's too close. It's too close. There's too many people. Um, yeah. Uh, the situation in South Africa is not very nice, so it is better to be a little bit away from people. Mm. Um, but I, I, the, the Africa is actually an amazing place, yeah. and and I think the what makes Africa very amazing is to see the spiritual. It's very the very strong spiritual mm. animists, they, um, the yeah. forefathers, and real spirits, and so it's very in your face. Yeah. Asia is uh, it's also very spiritual, but. Africa is more spiritual, I can say. Huh, it's interesting. Just, yeah. It's and what, what can you, what do you know about the Moken spiritual tradition? So I know they're animists. So they have spirits of the land and of the sea that they have to please. So the the spirits of the land, they will ask permission when they come in the monsoon to stay on the land so that they can get blessings. And the spirits of the sea, they will ask them to bless their harvest, the sea harvest, to have food and things and no storms and good weather and things like that. Um, they they're doing it once a year um, on our island, not not anymore. Um, they n never really did it on our island, but in Golau and Kochang also not anymore. But in Golau they once a year. It's about ma March, February, March, end of March. They have a, a gathering. Then they will um, they have a medium. Then they will the medium will usually get a little bit intoxicated. <laughs> Uh, with what? With alcohol. Uh -huh. And then she will have a conversation with the spiritual realm and they will tell them what they want. So then they will say they will want, uh, for instance, they would want uh, a chicken. Usually it was a, a, a sea turtle, fish and something that this spirit wants. And then they feed the spirit and then the spirit will bless them for the year. Mm. So that is the... Thing that they do usually they're very superstitious though uh -huh. there's a lot of things i know if they find uh wild bees they cannot go out on the boat if they have a, a funeral it the funeral the, the 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 corpse must be kept for one day three days five days can mm. never be even numbers always and then odd what, numbers. what do they do with the corpse they they bury it they bury on it. land on land yeah interesting be because they the forefather spirits must be kept alive. Uh -huh. They they animus, so they have the forefather spirits that they pray to, right. and they have to look after. And so do they do they believe that the spirit of the deceased comes back in a child, or is there that kind of? No, cycling? no, no. There's no no reincarnation. So yeah. what they believe is for the whole day, there's nothing happening, 
and at night they when they, when there's a funeral at night they will dance and keep the spirit a company mm, okay and then to keep it happy otherwise they're afraid the spirit will leave the body so when they so it's this festive atmosphere almost to keep the spirit with the body so then when they finally take the spirit and leave them and bury them it's on a far place because they don't want this not far far but close close far it's they can reach it within a day and then they have to wash themselves completely all the dust or anything that can link them to the place where they've bought the corpse and then they come back mm. it's really interesting yeah mm. so it's animism real animism right so so the funeral as you describe it is more like an irish funeral an irish yeah, way it's like, like a partying it's and like laughing. partying yeah laughing and dancing and shouting and uh. happy and <laughs> it's very interesting. very interesting yeah. do you think are they covering up sadness or do they not actually feel sadness no no that, i think it's a way of covering up sadness but usually the close relevants are very sad so they were cry always crying uh, and we have to comfort them and stuff like that right um right. Uh, it is i think it's like try to cover up sadness and then the belief of comforting comforting the spirit so it's a combination of the so two, they yeah. do believe that there's a spirit that persists yes and goes a, to yes. a, another world where all the spirits are yes, together yes, and yes. becomes part of the the animus yeah they they have they have a uh, a spirit of heaven and a spirit of hell. Huh. They call the spirit Chida, Chida, uh, Sawan. So an upper world and yeah, a lower and, and world. Chida Nalok is of the of the hell. Yeah. And is hell like the way we think of it in Christianity, with um, evil and darkness and all that? It's a place that is not comfortable. It says like this: they, it's like a place of torment. And, That's how and they so believe. So people it. are punished in the afterlife for mistakes or Th that I don't crimes. know. They, they, they're not really clear if you ask them so where do you want they all want to go to heaven why because hell is a bad place <laughs> huh. so that's what they say and I ask him so why is it a bad place oh no 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 they say it's a bad place <laughs> I wonder I wonder I, to what extent that's original to their tradition and brought I, in you see that outside. is the thing there's a lot of what I can see in the culture that I've washed over from the Thai culture and for, even from a Burmese culture mm. that they've washed over yeah and, and I imagine well this place was what uh Dutch and uh, Japanese occupied. This, yeah, this one, the island actually was in the past. It was first part of Myanmar. Yeah. And then it, the the the, the, Morgan, the Myanmar the, was a British uh, colony. They were British colonized. Yeah. yeah but they, they, there was no white people. They say the, the only the white people came much later. So right. it was first the Burmese, and then the the Japanese came, and then the Burmese came back. Right. And then only the Thai people came. <clears throat> so okay. they've encountered the white people more when they were up in in Myanmar right up in Myanmar and then they have massive stories to tell about the Andaman Islands the, right. the, the, the headhunters they will tell you they've run some of the older people say say if you go to that island you have to run they will kill you <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so what do you think about that situation the guy just a couple months ago was killed there right a missionary yes for I think if you look at it from a human perspective, uh, it's crazy. But for me, saying he really, really tried. I mean, he, he didn't just go there. It was three years that he planned. Um, because our first thing that we will think is, but what if he brings any disease to the people? Um, apparently, he studied and worked out a program so that even if he brings disease, he can help the people to survive it. So I'm not sure, but. If he take everything in account and he really could have helped the people and he could have loved the people, it will be great. The, the thing is... But wasn't it clear that they didn't want his help or love? We're not sure. 
You see, that is now the thing where... Somebody where shoots you with an arrow. That's a pretty clear indication yeah. they don't want to hear your story. You, you see, the, the Morgan as well, they also didn't want me at first year because I'm white. Yeah. But they, they need you in helping them to survive, you understand. But those people on, the, on that island are surviving. And they have made it clear, shoot arrows at airplanes when they come and boats. They don't <laughs> want anyone there. <laughs> why, why don't people have the right to say no? I don't know. The only thing that I also know, also don't understand of people is, of people is, uh, I said I don't want to talk about it. It's like, um, why some people have the right to say no and others, ah, they can just kill them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It is something of the world that I don't understand. I mean, the, if you look at the whole world system, some people, they will go out of their way protecting, but other groups have to kill them. No problem. Yeah. You understand? I don't understand that. Yeah. For I think, me, I think it's about resources. Is there oil there or gold or, or, there? Or it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you kill them. Yeah. If, if yeah, not, uh, yeah. maybe so you leave you them alone. Leave them alone. Yeah. So it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't understand that. Um, I think we have a like a, a obligation as Christians to go out and at least tell them that there's a savior because that is the last words that Jesus said go then and proclaim mm. him to everyone did Jesus impose his beliefs on other people I, I don't know enough about the Bible to know whether he just and did he go in into villages that didn't want him there if they don't want him there, he will not go. Yeah. That is how it works. Yeah. Yeah. But everyone has to get a chance to make that decision. Yeah. So I think they've made the decision. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, I hope you, I won't read about you trying to go out there someday. Please. No. No. We, you have to be called to somewhere. We say you have to at least have a calling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think anyone who's getting a calling to those islands, is it's a wrong number. I, I don't think. Yeah. There's a, I don't know if you've ever heard of this book. It's called At Play in the Fields of the Lord. It's a really interesting book um, by Peter Matheson, one of my favorite novels. And it's um, about a group of missionaries trying to contact an uncontacted tribe in the Amazon mm -hmm. um, in conflict with the local corrupt political guy oh, wow. who wants to yeah, kill yeah. them yeah, yeah. because once they're contacted, then that land will be protected and he won't be able to log it and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. do what wow. he wants to do. Okay. Yeah. It's, wow. it's fictional, but yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. it's a situation, situation. that has happened yeah. many times. Um, it was made into a film as well, starring uh, Daryl Hannah, Kathy Bates, John Lithgow. It was a very interesting wow. cast. Yeah. But it gets into a lot of these issues, like yeah, to what extent the missionaries are trying to actually protect and preserve yeah, yeah, the yeah. culture yeah, versus... I'm telling you, that is the, the most difficult thing. Is yeah. to, I, I don't want to change the culture. Hmm. But just for me being here, I'm going to change the culture. Right. There's no way that I cannot change the culture because our culture is too different from them. I mean, just for me being in Thailand, yeah. wherever I get contact with, there is going to be exchange of cultures. Yeah. So that is the biggest challenge we have is mm. not to change the culture. <laughs> yeah. Because that is culture. Culture is. It's, I can say culture is beautiful. Yeah. Culture is amazing. That is the one thing that I think we have to preserve as far as possible. So do you feel that all cultures are equally viable and, and uh, have equal value? I believe, you, you see, the, 
the bigger picture of what we believe God is is contained in all the cultures. Mm. So to really understand or to try to understand a little bit more of the God we serve is to to see every culture and see the u- uniqueness of every culture, right. the beauty of every culture. So for me, being des- uh, destroying a culture, I'm actually destroying something of what I believe God is creating, right. created. Yeah. So. Right. No, you cannot. A culture is beautiful. But so is it okay? So you're a Christian missionary who is essentially a cultural relativist, in the sense that, and I'm not trying to label you. I'm just thinking <laughs> about how these things fit together because I, I really struggle with these issues. I'm yeah, yeah. I'm sort of an anthropologist okay, uh, yeah. by training, and I've written oh, books wow, about wow, prehistory yes. and hunter gatherers yeah, yeah, yeah. and these things. I think about this a lot. Like, you know. Are there uh, value judgments that we can make about other cultures? For example, a culture that practices infanticide. Can we say that's wrong? Or female genital mutilation or so many other things? I think this, I will say this, definitely things that the Bible will say that is wrong. Mm. But if we look at sin, sin is so big. Yeah. We are so... So, if I say this is wrong, so then some things that we are doing that is actually also wrong, that is right. You understand? So <laughs> if you're doing the wrong thing for the right reason. You understand? So, yeah. there's a lot of things. It, it becomes to the point to say, okay, sin is wrong. But we are so completely fallen in sin that for me to say, okay, that sin is more sinful than this sin. You, it's, you understand? Then I become... How do I decide? I don't know. Mm. Just understand. Right. So, for me, I don't need to address things that I don't always agree with. Mm. We believe that the, the, the God Himself will address it. For me, is to represent His love. So, if there's, say, for instance, something very wrong, okay, they're killing one another. So, wow, that is bad. So you you have a chance to get killed, but bringing His love. We believe the Holy Spirit will teach them, and through the example and reading them, the, 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 His teaching, not just you see the, the the problem I will say of reading the Bible, it can become a book, but we we believe it's inspired, so you have to read it by the help of God. Just the New Testament or both? Both of them. Because the Old Testament, there's a lot of no. killing and yeah, but but you but you you, you, you see that is, is if we read it as a book, it is bad, it's really bad, but if you look through it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, you can always see there's a plan. For, by killing, sometimes there's redemption. Most of the people that, that were killed, it's not, oh, you're wrong, now you're dead. No, you're wrong. I give you a chance. How long? 400 years, 600 years, 1,000 years. And I'll show you the right way. And then if you don't choose the right way, the, the I would say, the, uh, the consequence of that being is death. Hmm. So most of the people say, oh, God, come and he kills those people. But they don't know why God's wrath is so bad. They were sacrificing their babies alive on a hot plate. You understand? And it was not just, okay, you're wrong. No, no, you're dead. And then we, the next we see God, he comes to the people. He says to them, repent, repent, repent. They repent. He says, okay, I'll give you more, more time. For me, I can see the love of God right through the Old Testament into the New Testament. It's a, it's a really a picture the problem is just if I read it as, as, as a just as a book, you cannot see it because it's like this page. Okay, this page is killing everyone: right. dogs, cattle, animals, women, yeah. children, everyone. 
but we don't know why yeah you, you understand it's like oh I just pick to to build a case yeah and and that is not what what I think the Bible is about you have to read it the whole Old Testament and the New Testament in context and with the help of the Holy Spirit and then you will see Wow so now now you're starting to sound like a Taoist to me a Taoist you know because there's the the Tao the, what is is what must be there, there's this <laughs> this sense of there's sort of a, a an underlying logic and pattern that only emerges <laughs> when you stop thinking <laughs> yeah you don't have to stop think um, <laughs> I just think that sometimes when they think without the whole big picture yeah we can come to a conclusion that is incorrect but are we capable of seeing the whole picture that's why I said stop thinking I don't mean be ignorant I mean stop the rational mind and allow yourself to perceive what you call the Holy Spirit what yeah. someone else might call the the Tao, Tao the flow, the flow of, of, of energy, energy. yeah I th what I at the end want to say is what I believe is yes we have a completely beautiful physical realm but I've experienced something that is not just physical, it's spiritual. And because of that, it's like, and it was Africa that let me experience it, is there is something that is not physical. And sometimes I want to say, I think that thing that is not physical is almost bigger and more real than the reality that we think we... Yeah. You understand? So, just to take one and say, okay, this is absolute. I cannot, yeah. I cannot. Because I've seen too yeah. much of things that that doesn't make sense yeah. logic and all my studies cannot get to that me to that answer yeah so it brings you to that thing of to say okay no there is logic we we, we have to use our, our our brains and work out things and our logic yes but sometimes there's things that doesn't work here yeah let's put it then in a place that say okay maybe it's spiritual yeah maybe. Oh, you and i are very similar in that yeah, respect I, <laughs> I think my my experience is of those states mm -mm. haven't been uh, inspired by religious study, but I've certainly experienced, um, <clears throat> I've had direct experience of realms that are beyond the physical yes. that lead me to have some real humility about rational thought yes. and the material yes. world yes. And, and all those yeah. things. I like, you know, I have to say, I, it's rare for me to speak with a, a Christian, certainly a Christian missionary <laughs> that has um, humility because what I find most off-putting by pe uh, about people whatever wherever they are whether they're scientists or, or religious people or whatever they are is certainty anyone who's certain I feel is dangerous there, there's a line trust those who seek the truth but yeah, flee yeah. from those who claim to have found it you know <laughs> for, for me I have a saying I say you know the more I work what I'm doing or doing what I'm doing the more I discover God, mm. but the more I discover God, the more I know I have no clue who he is or right. no idea who he is. He's right. just, it doesn't make, I cannot put him together. The more I discover him, it, it, it blows me. Yeah. You understand? It's too big. It becomes yeah. bigger and bigger and bigger. And the more bec I say, I, now I really don't understand him. I, it doesn't make sense. I don't really don't understand him. And this him. is progress. This is progress. Yeah. <laughs> you understand? For me, <laughs> yeah. that is be because yeah. of discovering him more. Yeah. You understand less. I understand less. Yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't make sense. Well, that's that's. I, <laughs> I've heard people say exactly the same thing. Probably I've said the same thing, but using the word wisdom instead of God. Yeah, yeah. 
Like the more you, the older I get, the more I sort of start to figure things out, the less, of course, you understand. Stand. Yeah. 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 I think why, why I put God in <laughs> is because of the spiritual experience that I've had. That they are a spiritual realm that is not good. And there's a spiritual realm that is much powerful than the not good one. Mm. But the, the powerful one never enforces himself on you. But the, the bad one always enforces himself on you or mm. itself on you or whatever you want to call it, enforces yourself. So that is why I say, wow, the, this one that is more powerful but never enforces him on someone is what I call God. Right. And, and I believe, really believe him is God. I've seen people <coughs> that have been slaves with a certain kind of spirit and then this God comes and he says, you're free. Whoops, he's free. Physically, that spiritual manifests in this uh, in the physical, and and it's I don't even want to go there because I say to people, you know what? If someone tells me what I've seen, I will not believe him mm. <laughs> because it's not, it, it cannot. Yeah. But I've seen one that I call God come and he helps people that are really in pain and suffering, where just saying whoop and they're free. So you understand? So for me, that is God. Right. And that is God. And I, what, and you see, that is the thing because I know who I am. I know I can never approach Him, or God as 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 a, a, a deity, as as God, because I'm too I'm too sinful. But that is where Jesus comes in, that He makes me new. So I present myself to God as being made new through Jesus, and then I can approach Him. So that is, the, the, I understand. That yeah. is that is basically the Christianity that that I believe. Is, is I cannot do it. I've seen myself just being here. I mean, you cannot really. I always say, how do you love the unlovable? <laughs> it's impossible. You can feel compassion. You can feel sorry for them, but you cannot love them. But to bring you to the point that you will really give up yourself for them so that they can prosper. Uh, I cannot do it. How old are you? I'm 43. Oh, you look a lot younger. Oh, good. Thank you're, you're <laughs> yeah I, the older I get the the more I, when I was young I, I thought love was a very rare uh, quality and experience that there would be very few people I would meet in my life that I would love and the older I get the the more I realize I basically love everybody yeah yeah it, it is amazing I, like you just said how do you love the unlovable it, it's hard for me to think of an example of someone who's actually unlovable because yes. anyone you see the child anyone you yes. see the pain yes. and the, the weight they're carrying yes. yeah you see for 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 me i've learned that now just only through god mm. so that is why i, I hold on to him <laughs> mm. so what do you see in in your future 10 years from now do you expect well, to still I, be here or? i really hope still to be here sometimes it's difficult because um you're trying to help people to help themselves and sometimes they don't want to be helped. Mm. <laughs> and in, in the way for uh, helping is like get them education. And sometimes they that if they get 13, 14 years old, they don't want to go to school anymore. Mm. They'd rather go on, out on the boat. And they almost there, you know, if he just stay there for one more year or two more years, then he will never lose his uh, reading skills again. It's just, just, just almost there, but it's not there. <laughs> well, do you worry though that the education is accelerating the loss of their culture? I'm worried about that, but it is so important for them to, to help themselves in, in Thailand that they will be able to, to be able at least read and write and do mathematics mm. because they use that. Right. They use that to, to buy and to sell and to, mm. to interact with the Thai uh, culture. Right. So that is 
for me at least I don't worry about the rest but to be able to read and write and to do a mathematics yeah that is for me important yeah and if I can do that th I'm happy if I can just do that yeah I think um, you're right that to, just uh, to defend themselves even if they want to go back out on the boats by all means let them go out on the boats right. I actually encourage them to go out on the boats right. I, I'm, I'm hoping in future to to build boats for them help them to come out of the the wooden boats and design a fiberglass boat for mm. them that they would like mm. um, because the wood is too expensive yeah. <laughs> at the moment and yeah. it only lasts two or three years and then they have to replace the planks so you understand no by all means let them go back on the sea but let them be able to survive on the sea right. that is what I'm trying to accomplish I don't are you raising money for these boats or at the moment not for me at the moment my struggle is just to get them through school yeah. <laughs> to the point that they can read and write at the moment, more people fall out before they can really help themselves. Um, so if, if someone listening to this is feeling like they want to help you, is there a way for them to, to help you? Is there a website they can go to or anything? Um, that is a more difficult question for me <laughs> <laughs> okay. because I don't have anything. Yeah, um, when you're supported by the churches. I, I'm not supported by the church. Uh, I've learned that we cannot really. <laughs> like, oh, really. So I've been supported by individuals. Ah. So I go out to South Africa, mainly South Africa, and then I tell them what I'm doing and what my purpose is. So you get private donors. And then I have people that donate for me. And then right. when I get to the point, I say, okay, oh, this is enough, it's enough. Um, I, I, money, I, unfortunately, money can be very evil. Um, and I'm my problem with money is I have uh, open very I call it the open hand. So if I have too much, I will give too much away. And to give too much to sometimes to people in need is not good. <laughs> so yeah. I have to be very careful with money. Right. Very careful with money. Um, um, we already have a situation that there's so many people that donate clothes and food and things that the more can don't take care of it anymore mm. uh, so we mm. don't want to do that as well so you understand it's very yeah. it's it's more difficult than you think it's just oh you can't know you have to know when to say okay this is enough right now now i store everything okay uh, now the parents have to make food for their own children i mean if there's no food i will make food for the children i'm but in this times when we have fish and prawns and everything and this rice and this money mm. the parents have to take care of their own children yeah but in times when they go out for a month and they get nothing and there's no food, right. I cannot just let them starve. <laughs> so, yeah. Sure. So, yeah, um, it's welcome. But for me, I'd rather help, have someone helping me, uh, helping designing of a boat or how right. to educate the people, people that have really... Um, uh, can say are experts in educating people um, cross-cultural different languages uh, things like that um, um, learning skills of languages and things like that um, uh, I think that will is almost more more important at the moment and then even uh, if in future if we're gonna build a boat I want the children that are now children they have to be able to build it by themselves right. so they have to we have to have get a mold or something and then let them so I need to be get educated of building a fiberglass boat and things like that. Right. And let them do it so that they can fix it and look after it by themselves. Yeah. yeah. That is the whole idea is to help them to help themselves. Right. Yeah. Not right. to give out. I've seen cultures destroyed by giving, yeah. giving, giving, giving. Yeah. yeah. I so, agree. Yeah. I agree. So, yeah. Well, listen, thank you. I know thank you're, you. you have a lot of yeah. going on here and no I appreciate problem. you taking some time to share your story. No, no. Thank you so much. I really yeah. enjoyed it. It's really nice meeting you. Yeah. Me thank you. Thank you.
special shout out. Thanks to Greg Simmons for introducing me to Philip and also um, not only lending me his gear, but coming along and recording it uh, for us. Much appreciated, Greg. Sitting in that little hut on the island, Kopayam. Yeah. Philip Von Wick. Uh, he's got nothing to sell. I'm not trying to get famous. Uh, he's just willing to share his story. So that's pretty cool. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by Mudwater, Shane Heath's company, based in Venice, California, out of his kitchen. Um, they're, they're doing real well. They're making people happy. M-U-D-W-T-R dot com. Buy some mud water. Show Shane that it's a good thing to sponsor tangentially speaking. Thanks for listening to this. I will uh, see you next time. And uh, I guess I'm going to throw it over to mom at this point. Mom and then Carsey Blanton. Yeah. Here's to you guys, Justin and Bennett. See you next time. Okay, Mom, uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. <laughs> she didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're going to say. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation It's
a big deal if you wanna be free. Say what you wanna feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.